Daniel Hagedon for Preparing Kids for Life at PK4L.com. And our podcast is for all things parenting. This is actually day 92 of our 365-day journey with you. You know, my wife and I are so passionate about helping parents reclaim their rightful place as the number one expert on their own kids. So our podcast focuses on time-tested principles any parent can learn and apply to give their children a childhood they won't have to recover from and to prepare them for life as truly the best version of themselves. So we talk about every parent's most basic fears because these have been our fears too. Things like, I don't have what it takes to be a good parent, or I'm not qualified, or I'm going to mess my kids up. You know, as parents, we will do anything to help our kids. And since our ceiling is our children's floor, we owe it to them to always be learning and growing. So for 365 days, you've been invited into our experiment, and we are committed to walking alongside your journey as your personal outfitters, guides, and allies every day, every step of the way. So this has been quite a... Uh, this has been quite a journey so far. We've been really digging into uh, this book, 10 Ways to Destroy the Imagination of Your Child. And of course, the incredibly brilliant author, Anthony Esland, is using this title to make the point of opposites. In other words, of course, as parents, we want to do everything we can to nurture and cultivate the imagination of our children. But if we were focused, if we were focused on destroying it, if we were focused on crippling our, our children's imagination, how would we go about doing it? And that's what he describes in his book. And of course, what makes it so, so funny and also so sad at the same time is that this is exactly what is going on all over the place today, both in society and in our school system. We are doing exactly this. A fact borne out by a study that I've cited several times in several podcasts by Dr. George Land, who conducted a number, uh, and hundreds in fact, of these studies going through and examining uh, this idea of creativity, how it's formed, how it can be identified, and, and how many children demonstrate it. And of course, it's interesting that creativity is literally schooled out of our kids. And a lot of what's schooled out of our kids are these notions about things they should be learning about. You know, it's interesting. Um, this, this, uh, this actual uh, chapter focuses um, on, on sex. And in particular, uh, the chapter is entitled um, Reduce All Talk of Love to narcissism and sex. And that's pretty much what we have. You know, we, we, uh, sex is, is a completely self-focused, self-involved thing. It has to do with our pleasure, uh, making sure we get ours, so to speak. And, and really it doesn't matter at, at whose expense. Um, and there's, yeah, there's sort of a, a, a movement to try to uh, deal with that somewhat, but it's 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 frankly a mess, and and yeah, I think this is where we you know kind of appeal to. This is not something Esalen does, but it's something that I believe that we just go back to look clearly. Um, we're made in God's image, and we have all these nerve endings, so it's it's very clear from a biological standpoint that human beings were designed to experience amazing pleasure in sex. 
And of course, all God is saying in that is, you know what? I want you to have all that. I want you to enjoy sex incredibly. However, I want you to do it within the confines of a loving, committed relationship, right? Marriage. And so it's an interesting thing. And and one of the points that uh, Esalen is making in all of this is he's just talking about how um, how flippant things have become, you know, and and it's interesting because you know we get so flippant about sex and it's just such a casual thing, um, and of course when we become flippant about something, um, it can accomplish kind of I guess you could say remarkable things with very little effort. Well, remarkable <laughs> in terms of its uh, impact, not in terms of its actual value. But it's it's sort of like flippancy is very much like a wrecking ball, right? Or or a kid with some gasoline in a match. Okay. It is able to destroy in an instant, an instant, a town hall, a school, a church that dozens and dozens of architects and craftsmen and builders took perhaps a whole year to build. Flippancy is is sort of the the habit of sneering at what is great or noble. That that's kind of like the the point of it. And when something that is noble, something that is incredible, something that is thoroughly enjoyable, and it's been reduced and and sort of minimized into something that is is almost meaningless really except except as a vehicle for personal pleasure that's that's pretty much the only value that's attributed to it you know Esalen he's talking about this idea of of kind of the the snicker that that seems to to follow everywhere that tracks uh, what people do uh, everywhere it goes and you know the the thing is is that he he talks about one of the one of the ways that this is done is that you simply reduce sex to a matter of hygiene to mechanics right reduce reduce you know eros this this love to just the itch of lust or or vanity just just reduce it to that reduce the love of a man and a woman to something private something arbitrary, something socially indifferent. And, and while you're doing these things, soak television and magazines with pictures of people in a state of undress so the only mysteries remaining will be in the cruel, the bizarre, or the disgusting. In other words, then all it's reduced to is the only thing we can really hope for is to, is to create some sort of shock value because we've, we've sort of inundated everything with so much pictures. And of course, these pictures are, I'll just give you one quick example, right? So there's a romantic comedy or, or any other kind of movie and uh, a man and a woman, they hook up at a bar after after drinking and they go home and they have sex and it's, it's, and it's like there's no consequences for anybody except both of them just had a really great time and, and a lot of fun, it was wonderful. It was just this night of pleasure, it's wonderful. But, but they don't talk about, well, what happens if if a pregnancy occurs? What happens if a sexually transmitted disease happens? See, that doesn't actually fit with the context. And so there's this constant flow of of sex without any consequence to it. And we know, we know from the statistics that you're you're looking at at a huge, huge number of teens and adults for that matter that are picking up STDs all over the place. 
And so it's kind of one of those things where we, we don't really ever think about making the connection between the two. And then one of the things that, that happens in this, in this process um, is, is we sort of reduce everything to this kind of animalized attraction. And this is simply perpetuated by our educators, right? Uh, because the, the, the educators are marching forth in, in the vanguard of progress, as, as Esalen puts it, instructing our students in the technique of how to have sex without offspring and shrugging away all questions of love. The result is a constriction of the imagination. And of course, that's exactly what they're attempting to produce is this constriction of the imagination. You know, it's, it's a lot more interesting to think about love to think about having a value and appreciation for another human being, for seeing them as something other than a potential gratification of your sexual lust, seeing them as a human being, seeing them as a creature created in the image of God. It's, it's something that um, I, I've always kind of been amazed that you, you have like a cosmopolitan magazine, right, which is supposed to empower women. It's supposed to show women as, as accomplishing great things, which of course, women are amazing. Um, but then, then it's full of articles on like 10 ways to please your man or all of these, these sex things as though the only function of a woman is to serve the sexual gratification of the man. I mean, and yet this is all done under the guise of empowerment. And now there's a whole, you know, empowerment movement around sex workers and all these other things. And it's like, how do we get to the point where we're trying to make sure that women are not objectified as, as this sexual vehicle of, of, of satisfying yourself, and yet they're being portrayed at every turn as a sexual vehicle that only exists to satisfy the needs of men? I mean, it's a weird kind of a thing. And there's such a there's such a a disconnect there. There's such a an intellectual and spiritual dissonance going on that it's it's no wonder that people are so utterly confused about it. And of course, everybody wants it to be something more. I mean, we we can get as cynical as we like and we can come up with all kinds of snarky, sarcastic comments, but at the end of the day, what men and really women really want is foundational and fundamental to love and be loved, to be truly known by someone else, and then to also have the honor of truly knowing someone else. That's what, that's what we want as human beings, right? We, I'm gonna suggest to you that there are basically three purposes, right? To, we wanna know that our life has meaning and purpose, and then beyond that, we want to know someone, and we want someone to know us and love us for who we are just as we love someone else for who they are. That's what we all seek. And yet that process has been reduced to just some sort of um, sexualized dynamic that has very little to do with love and very much to do with just personal narcissistic gratification. And that's where, you know, when Eastland's talking about this, this is, this is where this comes from. You know, um, it's like we're not um, we're not interested in 
in anyone who um, is talking about or discussing or exploring the, the full mysteries of love. Because that only distracts people from the true project. And the true project is the promotion of hygienic, mechanical, sexual activity among young people. That's, that's the whole point of it. And, and you know, um, this constant show of sex without consequences, sex without uh, an underlying connection of friendship, of relationship, of marriage, you know, part of that, part of that prospect of marriage is that it anchors you. You, you know that you are committed to someone else and someone else is committed to you. And when you feel safe, just think about it this way. Let's take sex out of it. When do you, uh, when are you most willing to be open and transparent and vulnerable? To truly just completely let your guard down and be truly who you are, right? Is it when you feel safe? Yeah, that's exactly when it is. And so part of what marriage does is it gives the other, each person the safety to truly be who they are so that they can be totally transparent, totally vulnerable, totally known. And when we are totally known by another human being and we also have that same privilege, it's incredible. It's amazing. It's what we all seek. But you know what? The cynic in us sometimes rises up and says, you know what? That sounds really good on a Hallmark card. I'll never get that. So I might as well just get mine while I can. And what Eastland is talking about is it's so easy for us to settle for less, for, to settle for less. You know, one of the things he, he talks about um, in this is, is he's talking about um, this idea um, of, just follow with me on this because it's kind of an interesting concept. He's, he says, masculine means roughly all those character qualities we wrongly associate with males. Not manliness and virility that deal with sexuality, but attitudes and preferences, logic, analysis, uh, tough-mindedness, decisiveness, competition. Feminine means roughly all those character qualities we wrongly associate solely with females. Not womanliness and mothering sexuality, but attitudes and preferences, intuition, synthesis, putting together openness. You expose your children to enough of this, and they will be unable to see the beauty in either manliness or womanliness. You know, men and women are complementary in nature, right? They, they complement one another because they were made to go together. It's all part of a design. But if you expose children to enough of this mechanics and enough of this, the, the sexuality removed from love, then they get a very distorted view of it. They get very much like how we are right now. Um, you know, one of the things that, for example, John Eldridge talks about is this idea that far too often, because we have so many unfinished men running around in this country, instead of a man bringing his strength to a woman, he is bringing his question to the woman. And his question is, do I have what it takes? Am I enough? 
It's not that the question is bad. It's that the question is being asked of the wrong person. That is a question that a man's father should be answering. Yes, son, you are enough. Yes, son, you do have what it takes. But more often than not, that son, that boy is not getting that question answered. And so he grows up into manhood with that unanswered question. And when that unanswered question remains unanswered, he eventually brings it to a woman because he needs an answer. And she is the wrong person to bring that question to. And it brings nothing but problems. And and women kind of are just, they're, they're privately dismayed by this because there's something in them that understands this is not a question I should be asked. I should not have to answer this. Instead, we should just be able to enjoy one another. We should be able to bring our strengths to one another. And it's a, it's a sad thing that happens. You know, Esalen puts it this way. He says, natural virtues, the momentous giving of oneself wholly to another, the duty you owe to a child you might conceive, the duty you owe to your parents, the duty you owe to the people among whom you live, not to mention the duty you owe to the law of God. None of these enter into the pasteboard imagination of society. All that society says about about it is what might come from a self-satisfied teenager who would occasionally write grammatical sentences and pretend to some degree of adulthood. You know, and what he's talking about there is this notion that we're we're really we're really gone so far afield of what it means. And we we see this completely immersed in our culture. And you know what? It's interesting that the Christians are are oftentimes accused of of uh, being prudish and so forth. And you know what? Some of them are, and and they're being they're accused of being weird about sex. And you know what? Uh, some Christians are, but you know who's not weird about sex is God. God designed sex to be thoroughly and completely and passionately enjoyed. However, He designed it for marriage. Because only marriage gives us the best possibility of creating enough emotional and spiritual safety that would allow us to be completely and transparently who we are. And in that level of intimacy, we can then freely give ourselves to each other. That's the design. And unfortunately, we've settled for so much less than what God intended. So much less. It's one of the things I, I like about how um, Esalen addresses this. And, and he, he says this too, because this, this kind of goes into to modesty and, and modesty uh, becomes an issue because, like I said, of how um, completely sexualized all this has become. And so he asks this question, I think it's a good one. He says, why should we care whether our young people retain a sense of modesty? such as they might feel in the presence of something mysterious or holy. It is that insofar as they do, they remain partially unassimilated by the world of the masses, mass education, mass entertainment, mass politics. In particular, people with a strong sense of being embodied creatures rather than being bundles of appetite provided with the machinery of a body to work upon 
will prove difficult to persuade in the coming century of biotechnocrats. He's saying, look, you know, if we really cling to the true, to the good, to the virtuous, that is setting us up against in direct conflict with sort of what he calls biotechnocrats. He says, someone who retains the ideals of manhood and womanhood will not see the great advances to be made, for instance, in providing men with lactating breasts or with wombs to suit some individual whim. People who cannot think of the naked human body without thinking of it being fulfilled sexually in marriage will look askance at the possibility of cobbling together a zygote made up of genetic material from three or four people. People who see children as the natural expression of the marital embrace will knit their brows with suspicion when others come along to say, let us, with our intelligence that is far vaster than yours, help you select what kind of child you want from the following menu of possibilities. They will blanch at the prospect of transforming the human race into biological products at the end of an assembly line or on the counter of a reproductive boutique, reduced to jiggered parts or to the latest wear in the saloons, salons of the rich. You know, it's, it's stunning. And in that passage, I think it's so profound because Esalen is, is just talking about this idea that if we are able to prevent the destruction of our children's imagination, then, then they will see this as an amazing process, not as some sort of biological construct to be managed for our personal whims. That's a big switch. And so it's, it's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting thing. It's, it's an interesting chapter. And I, I again, I, so encourage you to read this book. It is so profound. And we're, again, in this podcast, just scratching the surface of it. Obviously, it's it, there's too much there to really get into it, but it's such a great read. I highly encourage you to read it. But I just want to say thank you so much for listening. There are literally hundreds and thousands of podcasts out there. You chose to listen to ours. Please check out our website, pk4l.com, for more resources. And please click on the link in the show description and download your free ebook, Building an Emotionally Safe Home, as our gift to you. Remember, we are with you every day, every step of the way. Until tomorrow, have a great day.